This is The Varsity, a sports podcast from The Record North Shore, your nonprofit local news site. The Varsity is presented by the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute, with more than 150 fellowship-trained physicians in every orthopedic specialty and dozens of locations across Chicagoland and the suburbs. IBJI is your choice for patient-focused orthopedic care. To find the nearest location, visit IBJI.com. Howdy, folks, and welcome to the latest episode of the Varsity Podcast here, uh, where we talk everything involving North Shore High School sports. I'm Michael Dwojek with the record North Shore founding member Joe Coglin and Martin Carlino. You can subscribe to the podcast anywhere that they're available. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, what have you. Make sure you are uh, subscribing and uh, writing a nice little review while you're there and make sure you listen to past episodes of the Varsity Podcast. So in this week's uh, episode of the podcast, we are going back to our original format, which is four quarters. I know we haven't done that in a while, but um, there really hasn't been a lot to talk about uh, in a while for us to do four quarters. So we've been doing periods, halves, um, one long thing after a while, but we are happy to uh, go back to quarters, at least for this uh, week's episode of the podcast. So in the first uh, uh, quarter of the podcast, we're going to recap uh, the news that we just got about the IHSA basically punting until later in the month to announce any real changes. In the second quarter, we are going to uh, talk about a former Nutrier football player, Max Rosenthal, who will be uh, transferring over to Illinois, got a chance to uh, catch up with him and talk to him about that decision and about how a Trevian coach helped him actually make the connection and go to Illinois. In the third period quarter, we'll hear from um, Rosenthal himself as he talks about uh, everything that went into the decision. And then in the fourth quarter, we talk about uh, a loss in the football community here in the North Shore and just uh, um, what uh, that person meant to um, a lot of people in this community. So we'll touch on that to uh, end the podcast uh, this week. But we go on over now to the first quarter of the podcast where, um, guys, we are looking forward to uh, this meeting. We are looking forward to seeing what the board meeting will do. We're recording this on Wednesday, actually, right after the IHS had released uh, what it did from its board meeting. And what we basically got is not a lot. Um, the IHSA uh, will not... Uh, release or review its sports scheduling framework. It'll do that later in the month on January 27th. Um, and it says that uh, athletics remain on pause. Contact days can begin pending um, upon IDPH approval. Um, so I'll flip it over to you guys and just what what is your guys' initial reaction to the news where we wanted and we were waiting for this news, but it seems like we're going to have to just keep on waiting to get any kind of substantial news about what's going to happen the remainder of the school year here. Well, it doesn't feel like best case scenario, Michael. And I think it's fair to say it also doesn't feel like worst case scenario. Cause I think the worst case scenario in this situation would have been if we were to get a, a statement or some kind of directive saying that sports were going to be canceled for the foreseeable future. And there was uh, no, no date, no target date for a return yet. But I think the one positive that we were able to get out of this was that now we do have a tentative date for making a schedule. It's sort of another case of kind of kicking the can down the road, as we talked about last week, 
that at least now there is a target at the end of the road. There's a point in that road where potentially the wall is maybe made of clay instead of bricks. And maybe we can break through that wall once we keep kicking this can. Uh, but it feels like there's a slight positive we can take away in the sense that now there's a date and now there's sort of a path we can set moving forward. Yeah. Uh, you know, echo what you said there, Marty, between, you know, about the worst case, that's a good point. Um, and um, I, I just try not to be so hard on the IHSA. At least I, I think about it in my head. Um, um, and I, I understand they're under a lot of uh, scrutiny and um, a microscope and, um, they, they only have, you know, limited, um, authority, but we talked about it before and these two weeks that they're going to wait to release a schedule feels like valuable time, um, in, uh, in a half year that we, we have to fit all these in. So, um, I don't know, it seems like we could be doing a bit more and we mentioned at least our idea was to release a multiple schedules, um, based on when, you know, restrictions might be lifted if they're lifted by this day, this Friday or this Friday or this Friday, just go week by week. And you can even lump some weeks together if they happen before February, this is what we're doing. Um, and I just think that would, that would have given some people some hope, but now it seems like, you know, they even said in their press release um, that they don't want to be locked into anything. I, I just don't get that kind of fearful mentality. They don't have to be not locked in anything. They can, release a schedule and have contingent on if things are released. So they're not going to be held liable or anything. I just, I don't know. Um, it seems like there's a bit more they can do, but overarching is COVID-19. And if it gets worse in the next two weeks, we're going to have bad news. If it gets better, we're going to have better news. So that that's really the overall theme. I just think there's a little more we could have done on the, on the administrative level. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, just moving in like the nights before, like the night before you saw um, both the University of Illinois football and basketball and uh, baseball coach like tweeting in support of the IHSA, like getting back the athletes back on the field and that kind of stuff. And when you saw that kind of stuff, you were figuring maybe, oh, maybe like they're on the verge of announcing something. And this is like showing that the um, like the top flagship university is like behind this and we're like going to make it all work and it's going to work somehow and I know I saw today over the internet on Wednesday that um you saw like all these videos of like still playing or like why we play and all that kind of stuff kind of getting the campaign moving and um obviously that didn't result in much I mean obviously they didn't really lead to anything um other than today but um it was it was really interesting to watch just how much it is and at this point I mean I agree with you guys I think it's just um, after a while, you just have to have your leaders lead um, because what are athletes and coaches supposed to do after a while? I mean, you need to have tentative plans and you need to, I, I don't know, I don't think anyone would blame the IHSA if they came out today and they were like, well, we're, we're very wary of coronavirus, but here's our tentative plan. And if this doesn't work out, then we're going to do this and that kind of stuff. Like that, that doesn't seem like that hard of a concept to do. I think just people want to know what are the parameters and what are we looking forward to? What are we working toward? Um, and you're just not seeing that right now. And I don't know um, whether you guys agree or not, but do you guys feel like anything will happen out of this Jan 27th meeting? Do you guys feel like this, something has to happen at this next meeting for anything? Or do you feel like we're just going to keep on kicking the can down the road and we're just going to have the same conversation after we get the news and we record a podcast? 
Yeah, and, and well said there, Michael. I agree with the, the great majority of what you said. Um, I think now that we have a date that's been tossed out, I think we will in two weeks get, and of course Joe mentioned this as well, but this is, this is assuming, and, and at this point it's probably not a fair assumption, but assuming that things do not get drastically worse with uh, COVID-19 and the virus and, and everything that entails that. So I think in, in the two weeks in, on January 27th, I think we will get some plan. Um, and this is something we've talked about the past couple of weeks, but we're, we're just sort of at the point of no return now. It's time to either put your, put your foot on the accelerator or put the car in park. Um, and we, 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 you just got to get moving forward just from a logistical standpoint if you want to have any chance of the, these, these seasons happening. Yeah, and I think um, it's a good point. You know, Michael, I, I almost forgot about that since we were reviewing the uh, um, the summary from the IHSA. But yeah, the Illinois coaches, and I also saw a lot of college athletes um, from Illinois, um, some of those big recruits from the past few years tweet about it too. So I think it was definitely a concerted effort, whether it was by coaches or or the I, I don't think the IHSA did it, but anybody trying to get drum up some support and drum up some pressure on, you know, J.B. Pritzker, really, the IHSA can't um, say sports are back. They could, but that, you know, they tried with the basketball season, but that opened up a a whole can of worms. So um, I don't, I think they're very wary of doing that again. Um, But I do, you know, saying January 27th, we'll have schedules. It seems like they're hanging their hat on things will not get worse. Um, and, And we've had a good start to January um, from what we expected, you know, in terms of COVID, I think a lot of people expected a big surge in numbers and it's been a pretty modest one, still um, not great and still devastating to a lot of people and communities. Um, but in terms of this particular vacuum we're talking about right now, um, it seems like it's opening up things for, for play if, if things don't get worse. I think another thing to consider yeah. as well is I've seen some, some chatter on Twitter that a lot of our neighboring states are deciding to move forward as well. Obviously we know that Wisconsin and Indiana and some of those States directly around us have been participating in high school sports for the great majority of this, of the pandemic almost throughout. Um, But I believe on Twitter, I saw news today that Michigan now is going to be moving forward with high school sports, which I think is a fair state to compare in a sense, Illinois to um, just from the, the sense of how they have sort of handled mitigation ma- measures. So maybe that's a positive in the sense that uh, a comparative state to Illinois being Michigan has decided to, to sort of move forward um, and set dates for when sports will return. Yeah. And before we move on to the next quarter of the podcast, I think I, the whole scheduling thing is so interesting to me because what, what is the plan right now where um do you move winter like how long is basketball I like I'm so curious to know what the plan is now with if you start if they announce stuff on January 27th and you go mid-February like what what is uh what is the season going to look like is the season just going to be a month you play games and at the end of it like you just get it done with I mean I don't I'm really curious to see what the plan is here with the different schedules that they're going to be doing because like obviously every sport wants to play and every sport wants to have the ability to have some sort of a season but at the way things are moving right now, it seems like we might have like a month, maybe a six week basketball season, including the playoffs. And then we're done. And then you have like a six week basketball season, including the playoffs and you're done. I mean, it'll be really interesting to see what they do with the calendars and what do you guys really think can be done 
at this point with the calendars with what's left in the school year? I mean, not much. I mean, there's not much wiggle room. Um, you know, they said in the press release that, uh, or in the, the summary of the board meeting today, that if things start, I believe they said this, if things start, if mitigations are lifted this week and you're able to get the low sports underway, they should be able to play their whole slate um, this year. Um, you know, so they seem really optimistic about it. Now, we haven't seen what that slate is and where it ends up. Um, it's got to be abbreviated for some sports. It just has to be. There's just no way you can do it. And we're going to have trouble in February with basketball um, and football potentially starting. It's, it, we're going to have trouble. Yeah, and I think it, it maybe goes back to what we talked over a, a couple weeks ago. When we mentioned for a lot of these sports, I think maybe the formula is something like something along the lines of you'll get some variation of conference play where you'll get maybe, you know, a, a home game and a road game against the teams in your conference, and then you'll get some sort of playoff. I have a hard time seeing uh, a schedule maybe where we get, you know, out of conference play and anything that would happen before conference play. I think we'll predominantly for, for both travel reasons and logistic reasons, we'll see a lot of these sports just have schedules where you're playing teams in your conference. And then we figure out the, the puzzles to a postseason, whatever that might look like once we get down the road, once we get to the end of March, early April, uh, and even May in, in, in some cases for many of these sports. Yeah, it'll be uh, really interesting to see what happens. And uh, um, we'll obviously hopefully know more by the end of January when the IHSA meets again. But that's the latest that we know about. And we'll keep you guys posted on everything else that um, there is to know when it comes uh, when it comes to fruition. But let's move on over now to the second quarter, which uh, we talk about uh, former Nutrier football player Max Rosenthal. He uh, graduated in 2017 went to Michigan State, walked on, had a good career as a fullback, and then um, surprised uh, maybe a few uh, three weeks ago when he decided to uh, transfer out of Michigan State. Um, but uh, on Tuesday, he announced that he is transferring over to the University of Illinois. And um, I caught up with him um, to talk about that decision. Um, it was really interesting to hear him talk about it, and you guys will hear about it uh, later on in the third quarter, but um, it really was uh, just uh, a chance and by luck uh, thing that happened sometimes with like, who do you know and that kind of stuff, because uh, Max reached out to his former coach, uh, football coach at Nutrier, Brian Dahl, just to help him out and just to help him figure out um, where he wanted to go, what kind of interest, because obviously he plays more of a He's listed as a tight end, but he's more like a fullback, H-back kind of player. Um, just kind of get in there and uh, block and run. But um, obviously not a lot of colleges run that system anymore. So um, he had to look around, kind of see what kind of colleges were running that kind of system. And um, Coach Brian Dahl actually had a connection with uh, the new Illinois staff, uh, the offensive line coach, Bart Miller. Um, his brother was actually a coach at Elk Grove when Dahl was a coach at Elk Grove and they made a connection together. And, uh, back in the day when he was at Wisconsin and, uh, he figured he would just reach out, pass along Rosenthal's, uh, film over to Miller just to see if he'd be interested. And then, um, on Saturday, coach Miller, uh, 
uh, reached out to Rosenthal. And then on Tuesday, uh, new Illinois head coach, Brad Bielema reached out, offered him a scholarship and Max right on the spot, accepted the scholarship. And, and what uh, was a no doubter for him, he talks about how um, he was an Illinois fan growing up his entire life as both his dad and his grandpa went to Illinois. And um, it was really cool to just watch him uh, realize a dream. Obviously I know, uh, Joe, you've uh, seen him and Marty, you've known about him, just like walking on to uh, Michigan State as a walk on, earning a scholarship and now going to Illinois. Um, it was, it's been fun to watch him kind of grow and kind of uh, uh, just kind of mature as a, both as a person, but also as a college football player. Yeah, I, you know, seeing the photo of Max now that, that we're posting with stories um, all jacked up at Michigan State um, is so funny. Remembering him as a sophomore um, up on varsity linebacker with uh, one of one of Dahl's early teams that, that had a great playoff run um, and he was so impactful. Um, but he was, you know, I mean, uh, tall and you could say he had the frame for it, but not cut up like he is now. So it's cool to see him build on that frame and and succeed on the college level, you know, get into games and and make a real impact. Uh, I think, you know, you you did a great job of, of, of running down the story and, and the impact of it and what it means and how we got to this point. Um, but it, you know, it's worth noting that Illinois under new coach Brett uh, Bielema, he might get some more tick. And, you know, if anybody remembers Bielema's time at Wisconsin, you know, they, they turn out big offensive linemen, they, they run the ball, they run it with force, they run it up the gut. Um, and uh, they use fullbacks for that and they use blocking tight ends. So um, hopefully Rosenthal is, is in a similar situation in Illinois where he's getting time and he's able to do what he loves, which is um, help the offense make big plays and, and uh, run the ball. Yeah, definitely. Really, uh, really cool to just watch. And I talked to Dahl and he, uh, he mentioned how cool it's been watching, how cool it has been to watch him just kind of mature as a person, like going through this whole transfer portal process and um, watching him reach out to schools and hearing, uh, cause obviously when uh, programs uh, inquire about a transfer, they like do some background work, talk to coaches and, from what Dahl heard, all the different coaches that he's worked with have been just nothing but um, good things to say about Max and who he's become as a person and as a football player. So obviously Illinois was really happy to quickly get him on board um, as they kind of adapt their offense to a different style that Brett's going to be running there. But um, why don't we hear more from Max as we uh, move on over to the third quarter. Um, and uh, I talk, as I said, I talked to him after he made his announcement that he'll be transferring over. We talked about what that decision was like, why he decided to leave Michigan State, and what he's looking forward to at the University of Illinois. Yeah, so no, I went into the uh, transfer portal as of maybe three weeks ago. Um, you know, I was hearing from schools, you know, some Big Ten, some uh, some schools out west in California, FCS. Um, and then Illinois reached out to me actually like three days ago. And I spoke to the O-line coach, uh, Bart Miller. He's an Elk Grove um, from Elk Grove, knows Coach Dahl pretty well. Um, and, you know, he reached out to me and said, you know, Coach Bielema, you know, is bringing in new staff and just a new system. And, um, you know, the type of stuff I did at uh, Michigan State really fit what they were looking for in that position. So um, we were kind of talking here and there. And then, yeah, they reached out um, with an offer this morning, spoke to uh, Coach Bielema and his staff, and um, I accepted on the spot. So, I was I was just fired up. Yeah, definitely. What made what made you want to like like accept right on the spot? Like, what was it about Illinois um, that you knew that once you got the offer that you were just going to jump on it? 
Yeah, you know, I grew up uh, an Illinois fan. My dad's actually um, a grad. My grandpa was as well. Um, you know, so I was raised on Illinois football, watching all the games and, you know, following the team and its players. So it was always honestly like a dream for me as a kid. So to just actually have it become a reality and accept the scholarship there, you know, for these next two seasons was just absolutely surreal. Um, and it was just an opportunity. I knew, you know, if it came, I, I would I would take it on the spot. So, um yeah, just just had just went with it. Did you have that uh, thought in your mind that that could be a possibility when you did decide to answer the transfer portal? Or did it kind of catch you by surprise when uh, when coach reached out to you and then you got you got the offer? Um, it caught me by surprise because um, you know when you enter the transfer portal, you're originally not really speaking to any schools, so you're really kind of right. going into the whole portal just blind. And you know, at first I didn't really know what to expect. Like I said, some schools were reaching out and. Um, you know, just seeing where I, where my head was at with uh, committing and everything, and um, you know, like I said, once Illinois came knocking, it was it was I, I just had to I just had to take it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, what made you uh, want to uh, want to enter the transfer portal and look for a new change? I mean, what was kind of the decision process like there for you, just deciding to move on from Michigan State? Yeah. Um, you know, I had a great four years at Michigan State. Got you know I bleed green and white I always will you know nothing but respect for you know this coach's staff and players here um you know with coach Tucker entering um as of last year with his new staff just offensively I think we've sort of just parted ways in terms of you know the type of football I was um you know playing previously with coach D'Antonio as like a traditional fullback and trying to you know adapt to more of like a tight end role um so it was just honestly it was just time it just felt like it was a, a good time to do it I had a great talk with uh coach Mel Tucker at Michigan State um prior before entering the transfer portal and you know we were just on the same page and you know um he was super helpful through the process and you know gave me all the tools I needed to feel comfortable entering the portal um so you know left on a great note with the school and um you know, once I was in the portal, it was, um, you know, like I said, I'm still a Spartan. I'll graduate, get my undergrad degree, and, um, yeah. Yeah. Is it cool to kind of stay within the Big Ten? Did you want to kind of continue playing Big Ten so far? Were you open to uh, uh, other stuff as well? Um, you know, I was open to all possibilities um, and opportunities, but deep down I really wanted to stay in the Big Ten. Um, you know, I feel the Big Ten is the highest level of college football, just in terms of competition and atmosphere. And it was something I just really wanted to stay in and let alone just playing for, you know, my home state, Illinois, within the Big Ten is, you know, just a dream, like I said, growing up. And, um, you know, so to have that become a reality was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned that uh, that uh, Dahl knew uh, the line coach. I mean, how cool is it kind of uh, to have, like, your past, like, obviously your high school where, um, that connection kind of helped open up your next chapter. I mean, how cool is it just to have that kind of uh, that yeah, kind of was, small connection in there? Yeah, it was just perfect, you know, super convenient, you know, just in terms of timing, um, you know, of course, like right entering the portal. And then, you know, Coach Dow reaching out to me saying, you know, he coached with, um, you know, Bart Miller's, I think it was his brother at Elk Grove, and they knew each other pretty well. So to just have that connection, kind of coming to my favor was, you know, absolutely amazing. You know, Coach Dahl has been super helpful during the process. He was with me every step of the way. 
you know, looking at all types of possibilities and, you know, he really made this thing happen. So, you know, I, I give him so much credit and, you know, thank him for just sticking with me through the process. Yeah. How cool is it for you? Um, I mean, obviously I know you walked on to uh, Michigan State and um, obviously earned a scholarship there and now you're moving on to Illinois. I mean, how cool is it to kind of watch uh, and kind of experience your just football career just continue to grow? Um, just obviously, like I mentioned before, starting on as a walk and then now you get to play for uh, Illinois, a school you dreamed of playing growing up. Yeah, it's, it's been a crazy ride, you know, a lot of ups and downs, you know, through my career, um, you know, but it's just um, all like, you know, the little people, just teammates, family, you know, past coaches, current coaches, you know, all really just helped me get to this point, you know, where I am today. So, you know, I'm just super thankful, you know, I couldn't have done this thing alone. So just, um, you know, it took a village and um, like I said, just very thankful for, you know, everybody who's with me through the process and, you know, just helping me get to this point. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, how excited are you? I know you mentioned you're going to finish up at uh, Michigan State and then you're going to uh, move on over to Illinois. I mean, how excited are you for uh, what's next? Yeah, no, I'm fired up. Just, you know, having an idea kind of, you know, just early through the process, I didn't really know how long this was going to last. Um, just kind of being up in the air and it's almost like as a free agent, you know, in this portal. Um, so to just have a clear idea of, you know, where I'm going to just get my mindset ready coming into the summer. It's, I, I just feel super you know, comfortable in this situation. Um, you know, I'm at school right now, so I called my folks back home. You know, my dad was crying. My mom was crying. So, you know, they were all just super excited for me. And, you know, like I said, it just, you know, the support they gave me through the whole process, it was, you know, really kind of a, it's a team effort. So, um, you know, we're all just super excited. Thanks so much uh, to Max for joining us this week. Always good to get your insight and congrats on your, uh, obviously, recent commitment over. So, Let's move on over now to the fourth quarter, but before we do so, uh, let's just give a quick thanks to our sponsor, the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute. They have many locations in the Chicago area, so make sure to check them out. Move better, live better. All right. Um, in the fourth quarter, we are going to uh, kind of just touch on a sudden loss in the North Shore uh, football area. Um, it was reported um, or um, seen that uh, a GBN uh, quarterback uh, Dylan Buckner uh, suddenly uh, passed away uh, last week. And um, obviously uh, all these guys in the area, even if, the, if uh, Dylan went to GBN, a lot of these CSL South guys are close together. They work out together. And um, I know just uh, seeing the outpouring of support and uh, love over social media, over Twitter, that Dylan really made a um, really made an impact in the community with the people that he talked to with his leadership at GBN, but um, also with, um, I mean, people in, uh, at Nutrier and Loyola and GBS and Niles West and what, what, whatever school you have, you and obviously speaks to a great uh, leadership in the magnitude of a person's reach. But um, we wanted to just talk about um, that loss, that sudden loss um, and uh Marty, I know um, back from your time with the Northbrook Tower that obviously you had a, you covered GBN football. You obviously had many chances to uh, talk to Dylan after a game and practices and that kind of stuff. So um, from what you remember, I mean, what did Dylan mean to that community and just uh, to that football team? Yeah, really, uh, really gut-wrenching and, and heartbreaking news here. And just want to start out by saying I, I want to send my sin sincere condolences to uh, – to Dylan's family, his friends, the the program, the entire Northbrook community, everyone who 
who knew Dylan in any capacity and what was touched by him in any way. Uh, obviously a terrible, terrible loss. But as you mentioned, Michael, I had the, had the chance to cover Dylan for his, uh, his sophomore and junior seasons on varsity as a quarterback. Um, and, and through those experiences covering him, I was able to, uh, to get to know him a little bit and uh, had several chances to talk to him and, and interviewed him many times. And I remember the first time I interviewed him was after his varsity debut uh, as quarterback, of course, in, in his sophomore season. It was, it was week one of that season. Um, and he had just played a brilliant game. They, they beat Wheeling. I think the score was maybe like 34 to, to 16, something along those lines. And he had two passing touchdowns and over 200 yards in the first half and just, just a brilliant game. And I remember after the, after I interviewed him after the game, I just couldn't believe I was talking to a high school sophomore. He was just so thoughtful in his answers, so respectful in the way he, he talked to me and just handled himself tremendously just so well-spoken and perhaps what stuck out to me the most was just how he didn't take credit for any of his success he was so selfless he immediately credited credited his teammates for his success he I remember he he threw a touchdown pass in the first quarter to Ben Kiefer down the sideline and I asked him about it and he he sort of said yeah I, I threw the ball behind him and he made a great play on it so we wouldn't have scored the touchdown if he didn't make that great play. And that just really stuck out to me because this, this was his kid's first start and he was incredibly successful and he was immediately looking to thank his teammates for his success. And those were really the qualities that, that always stuck, that always stood out to me. He was just tremendously respectful, very kind. His, his teammates and his coaches just absolutely adored him as well. I mean, every time I asked one of his teammates about, playing for him or playing with him, what it was like. They, they just had nothing but the best to say. And I remember both coaches who coached him, Bob Peeper and Matt Purdy. Um, coach Peeper was able to coach him his, his soft Dylan sophomore season. And it was coach Peeper's last season as the, as the head football coach. And a lot of times, sometimes it's, it's hard to get some heartfelt answers out of coach Peeper. He was a little bit more reserved and uh, very measured in how he how he handled his answers and his answers were always always very thoughtful well thought out and and was was great in cooperating with us and always gave us fair time but I'm sure you catch sort of the drift I'm going but anytime I had asked him about Dylan he always had very very positive things today to say very similar along the line of he couldn't believe this was only a high school sophomore he couldn't believe he was this advanced this he couldn't believe he grasped the offense that quickly he couldn't believe how uh, how strong he was as a pocket passer as only a sophomore and and staying in the pocket through pressure and just handling the quarterback position. I mean, this is a most the most challenging position in the sport, arguably, and and he was handling it with with great effectiveness in his sophomore season. Led the team back to the playoffs in, in seven wins, and then in his junior year, when I would ever ask Coach Matt Purdy about him, he always had nothing but the best to say as well, and it was really a, from Dylan's sophomore to junior season, he really transformed himself as a player. He grew um, pretty significantly in his size and stature, and he became a little bit more of a runner. He was his first season, a little bit more hesitant to leave the pocket and his junior season. He definitely was uh, had no fear of leaving the pocket and running and taking these hits. And I remember coach Purry had always said it was kind of like having a second coach with Dil with uh, Dylan as his quarterback, because he, 
He understood the offense so well. He understood the playbook so well. He always knew what they were trying to do. He always kind of knew what play they were looking to run in what situation. He, he very rarely made mistakes, um, which for a high school quarterback is just something you just don't see too often. I mean, he was always measured in the, in the ways that he approached plays. I mean, if it was a, if it was a third and long, you knew he wasn't going to take a a crazy chance to put the team in jeopardy. He was going to make the measured smart play. That's kind of just the player. He was the the methodical thinker. He was in the pocket. Um, And I mean, just from everything we've heard in these, these past couple of days, and I'm not able to speak as much on this part, but not only was he a a great athlete, he was a great student as well. Um, I saw some of the press releases that the school sent out and I, they were, there was a quote from one of his teachers that said they wish they could clone Dylan and have 20 Dylans in their classroom and, and have students with his work ethic. So he was just a, a, a really special young man. And I'm thankful that I had the chance to, uh, to get to know him a little bit while, while covering the team and his teammates are, are and, and everyone who, who knew him are, are definitely going to miss him dearly because he was a, was a really great kid and very respectful. And I, I, just want to go back to so many of so many memories of his teammates and coaches just talking about him and his teammates pretty much saying they'd they'd run through a brick wall for this guy and you could you could tell what kind of leader he was and how compassionate and caring he was to his his teammates and his coaches yeah you know you know hearing you speak on uh on dylan and and his life and his legacy and, and your interactions with him and also reading the, the countless tributes that, that popped up online, whether it was from family or friends or opponents or, you know, just uh, his peers was, um, was really heartbreaking, but also, you know, makes you wish you, you knew him. Um, and I did not, uh, I was not in that, the lucky, um, the, the lucky uh, people who did. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I loved reading it in, in uh, about, who he was and, and what he meant to the community and the impact was real. Um, it was, it was very real and it was meaningful and special to a lot of people. And uh, the topic, um, you know, Dylan's life mattered and um, the topic matters too. you know, what was extremely disheartening in the, in the days following Dylan's death um, was how some took his death and, and they spun it um, toward their agenda. And it was, it was angering. And um, just because, you know, while I was reading those, you know, Dylan, um, Dylan died by suicide and, you know, his father came out and and said publicly how Dylan, um, dealt with depression on and off. And it was a a common struggle for him, um, and a real one. And some people turn that into a, um, a weapon against JB Pritzker and, uh, the state's quarantined and thing and things like that. And I'm not saying that Dylan's death didn't have something to do with it, but they don't know that. You don't know that. We don't know that. You know, the only people who might are Dylan, maybe his family. And these, but this came from people who who didn't speak with the family and didn't know the Buckners. And it was completely inappropriate for them to take that to um, make a point and drive home an argument um, against, you know, toward their agenda and against something they, they don't believe in. Um, um, it wasn't right, and I don't think we should do that. What we should do, um, and what is appropriate, is um, teen suicide and teen depression has been up in this country, and 
Um, it has been measured and metriced for, for a while now. And I think it's something that we need to reach out to each other and talk to each other about and talk to our children and talk to our peers and, um, you know, be aware of, raise awareness, talk about how talking is okay and being not okay is okay. Um, and how, you know, no one's alone. And depression is a real, is a real thing that's affecting millions and millions of people. Um, and it's okay to talk about and we need to. Um, so, you know, there are, there are a number of hotlines, there are a number of resources for you out there. And I hope if you need somebody, you can find them and you can talk to somebody. And that's the message we should be sending. And the message about Dylan's life is we should be celebrating it and uh, what it meant to the community and uh, not using it to our advantage, which is inappropriate. So I wish I knew him. Um, that's all I can say um, as I read all these tributes and, um, you know, rest in peace, Dylan. And well said, Joe, very, uh, very thoughtful. And one more on a, on a bit of a lighter note, one more memory I wanted to, wanted to add in of Dylan. I remember one time I was working on a feature profile story of him for our football preview guide. And I had his, I had his cell phone number and I text him, Hey Dylan, I'm working on a story. Any chance that you'd be able to, to set some time aside for an interview? He had mentioned that the, the next couple of days were, were very busy. It was the start of practice and the start of season, obviously, and he had his schoolwork as well. And he had mentioned, well, I have, you know, class from this time to this time and then practice from this time to this time and then homework from this time to this time. He's like, but I have 15 minutes in between and I can, um, I can give you that time and I'd be happy to speak with you. And I, I remember that text message and just thinking, wow, so many times we don't even hear back from sources when we reach out for interviews and he hardly had a, a moment to sit down and, and even eat or, or do, you know, something or take some free time for himself. But he took those 15 minutes to, to speak with me and talk about the football season. So just, uh, as I mentioned, just a tremendously respectful young man. Yeah, definitely. And like, like Joe mentioned, obviously there are many different sort uh, resources and, uh, places where you can talk. And if you are in crisis, I mean, you can call the national, Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or reach out to the crisis text line by texting HOME to 741741. Always good to remember that you're not alone. And uh, like both Marty and Joe said, um, send our condolences to the Buckner family and to the GBN community and to uh, a lot of uh, uh, people. Didlin obviously made a great impact in the community and um, obviously will be missed. But that's everything that we have for this week's episode of the podcast. A quick reminder that you can subscribe to the podcast anywhere that we listen, that you listen to them, whether that be Apple, Spotify, uh, what have you, we're there. Make sure you give us a nice little review and uh, make sure you listen to past episodes of the of RC podcast as well as uh, things are, uh, things uh, don't uh, really change here when it comes to the IHSA. So you can probably uh, listen to the same stuff and our arguments will still apply, but as I said earlier, we'll keep you guys updated on everything that's going on in the North Shore sports scene. So for Joe, Marty, and I, thanks so much for joining us this week, and we will talk to you guys down the road. Thank you for listening to The Varsity, a product of the record northshore.org, your nonprofit local newsroom. 
The Varsity is presented by the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute. With more than 150 fellowship-trained physicians in every orthopedic specialty and dozens of locations across Chicagoland and the suburbs, IBJI is your choice for patient-focused orthopedic care. To find the nearest location, visit IBJI.com.